Jason, we officially just ended the 2020-2021 season. We watched the Chiefs play the Bucks in Tampa. Bucks dominate the whole game. We'll get into it. They gave out some Hall of Fame jackets, class of 2021. We'll get into that. We'll break down a little bit of offseason. It's kind of crazy, Jason. I'll let you expand, but this year is our first year doing this uh, podcast, the 53 podcast. And I would just kind of like to get your thoughts. I mean, this is it, man. This is the pinnacle. This is the last episode of the 2020-2021 season until we get into offseason stuff for next year. So after a full season, how does it feel, man? Dude, it's been a ride. It's been a journey. Most importantly, it's been a lot of fun. I'm actually really excited to go back because I have not done this in a little while. I'll go back and listen to where we were when we first started this whole thing. You know, maybe we do like an official one year and just do like a 10-second clip. It's like, yeah, this is kind of – as we were still getting to know – as we were still getting to know the mic, you know, that type of thing and just how repetition and comfort levels and just kind of trying and playing around things have been awesome. So – uh, as far as the podcast goes, loving it. I, I know you are too. And, uh, you know, as far as football goes, man, that went quick. Yeah, it's pretty pretty insane. I mean, really nothing to look forward to in the sports world until, well, unless you're me, a big lacrosse fan, I get to watch the PLL this summer, which I'm excited about. But yeah. as football goes, I mean, it, it's shaping up to be one of the best uh free agencies we've ever seen i think a lot of big trades are going to happen or already have happened uh big draft class coming in two three four good quarterbacks a bunch of good wide receivers again probably the best tight end prospect we've ever seen so skilled position players are going to be really fun in the draft as well can't wait to break that down in the off season i think we're going to break down divisional things as well just like we did at the beginning of the year and actually compare some of our notes from the beginning of the year to now is going to be really cool. And just like you said, like I'm super excited for that journey to see how far we've come, see what we sounded like week one, see what we sounded like going through the AFC and NFC South and all that juicy stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah. You know, that's something too where I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, because I just take a little bit of time to reflect on what our favorite segments were and what we want to do and where we can, you know, chop it up a little bit. But, uh, do you have any off the top of your head, some of your favorites, or do you want to get in that a little bit more towards the uh, off-season stuff? Yeah, I think that's going to be um, more off-season stuff. I, I do think we had some favorites. I think we, we were doing the five, we were doing the three so much, uh, kind of the offhand questions, the, the riffing on names, uh, the Nashville Titans, super excited about that to come back next year. Right. Um, we, we, we tried a couple different segments that – completely failed uh Trubisky meter failed uh Minshew mania Minshew uh, report failed so uh <laughs> we'll come up with better segments hopefully people who actually stick around and play uh well go figure well but you know when you got a guy you got a guy whether he gets reps or not he can still be your guy so True I mean that. on that note you mentioned the five you mentioned the three yeah. um I'm really excited to get into the five a little bit more just as even in the offseason when we have a little bit more leeway as we expand our structure or lose our structure a little bit you know something make a little more interesting a little change up but uh, as far as the three goes let's jump into what we had our predictions from two weeks ago when we wrapped up the conference going into the super bowl weekend 
Um, we each made a couple of predictions. We actually finished with the same record this week, and it wasn't great. It wasn't great. How'd you feel? Yeah, not good. We both took the Chiefs, um, yeah. so that obviously failed. We took the Chiefs and the points, not even Chiefs money line. So uh, bad on us there. I actually put some of my own personal money on the Chiefs. So that second half was pretty tough to watch. I bet. But what I did get right is I did bet the under. I did not think the under would be 31 to 9, and the 9 being the Chiefs. Yeah, no kidding. But the under still hits. I was 1 and 3. My second one, Jason, was somebody to score three touchdowns. That was bold. That was very bold. I, you know, if I said two touchdowns would have been cool because Gronk scored two and looked phenomenal doing it all over the field all night. So uh, I'll give myself a two-thirds of a point there. All right. I, I get it. Two-thirds. Two the points of- are made up. Score doesn't matter. Yeah. Maybe next year it will. We'll see. Um, if we get more into betting, maybe it will be. But, uh, yeah, I also went one for three. I think I had the Chiefs. I had the over. I had Kelsey as Super Bowl MVP. And I thought it would have an atrocious halftime show. And I have a lot of coworkers and my father that said they still don't know what the weekend is. So, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight you on that. I and you, I, you, I think you enjoyed it. I think the court of public opinion uh, is on your side. I think the court of public opinion said it was forgettable, that it wasn't um, as big as these other people. Yada yada. First off, in my defense of what happened. Uh, at halftime for the weekend's performance. The audio is always bad because they always take the audio from the stadium. Right. So that that's bad across the board. Always. Always has been. Always will be in the Super Bowl. Uh, but then when we get into production, and I do like production, and Super Bowl halftime show is the greatest production in the world, I thought the production value of this performance probably was the best we've ever seen. Regardless of the, 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 the memeable moment when he goes into the fun house, I thought that was the biggest risk ever running into people doing this, doing that and making it look good on live television. I thought the the reward way out exceeded the risk here. And I was super pumped for him to like pull that stunt off. Sure. And then in his transitions, he would go 60 yards during a transition, he, he, he would leave the fun house and then he was on like the 30 yard line. It was insane. I thought the camera angles were, were amazing. I thought the backup dancers were super cool, how they moved around and how they all looked the same. Uh, and then lastly, I thought the lighting was probably the best we've seen. It was so dramatic and cinematic and not this like big fanfare that we've seen in the past. It was so different and that's right. why I liked it. Uh, so yeah, that's where I think it fell off for a lot of people is because he tried to do his own thing and he wanted to do it the weekend way. And people who don't know the weekend, people who are expecting this big, loud bravado voice didn't get that performance because that's not who he is. And that's why like somebody like Adele said no to the Super Bowl. She's like, I, I, that's not me. I don't fill out the dance, the song and dance that Shakira can do, you know? And that's fair. And they, they took a chance on weekend. I thought it was very successful. Uh, court of public opinion and Jason uh, disagree with me. And that's fine. Yeah, you know, I got some other things that I, I was missing there too, but I don't really care enough. So 
it's just not my style. So I like, yeah. I like that you're able to bring some detail to it though, especially being on the production side of things. I mean, I definitely see what you're pulling for there and what you're looking for and what makes your heart drop, especially because you're used to producing and putting all these things on. So right. you're definitely seeing, you know, a lot more things Monday morning quarterback or even live that, uh, you know, a guy like me is like, I just want to be wowed when it comes to those types of productions. But you're like, oh my gosh, all these technical things. Just kind of the way that I feel like we watch football compared to, you know, maybe a, a lesser educated viewer. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, it, it was definitely more of a technical show. For sure. So with that, how about that game? Brady Jason, gets seven. Get it. And... I get there, there's so many excuses, but man, it was just a Brady S type game to me. I mean, it was never out of control. They never got away from one style. There was play action screens, running the ball, methodical. Uh, I was actually pretty surprised. I think a lot of people were surprised. So this might just be redundant saying it, but man, I thought KC would have a little bit more of a, a something up their sleeve, and I didn't see any real trick plays or anything that was going to get them out of anything. Um, so it's probably a pretty common reaction. Did you have anything else on that point? Yeah, I think the, the, the straight up overview for me was, uh, going into the weekend, I, I think I was concerned about the offensive line of Kansas city, not only because they're going against a great defensive line with big names, a guy who led the league in sacks, a guy who's won a super bowl before Vita Vea, who's a young stud in this league, and the Dominican Sue, like, holy shit, they got four studs. That's a lot. They're also missing two offensive linemen. So that was the concern going in. And I sat there objectively thinking, but they have the best, they have the best counter to a good pass rush, and which is a good tight end and a possession tight end. Oh yeah. They're gonna use that as the weapon. You either cover him well or you rush well. You can't do both. And they proved that they put all the eggs in the rushing basket and said, you know what? Kelsey can beat us over the middle, and he did consistently. Kelsey can beat us over the middle, but we're going to get home eventually. They're going to have to beat us just playing to Kelsey over and over and over. And that was the game plan, and I thought uh, the game plan perfectly – uh, match what Kansas City came out to do because Kansas City thought that they were going to throw the ball all the way around. Wasn't the case. Todd Bowles, Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, threw a shell out there, let nothing go deep, played everything in front of them, made tackles, made plays, and they they were the shining moment of this this whole Super Bowl, and I wish they got more of a light. If, if it wasn't for Tom Brady, and yes, it's well-deserved, but if it was any other quarterback there – this defense would be talked about a bunch more. And oh, that's, that's what I want to say about this game. 100%. I mean, I think defensively the Tampa Bay Bucks played great at all levels because they were able to get home with four. And JPP's first step off the line was just as good as it was 10 years ago, which is crazy. But, you know, I was thinking about this kind of, you know, it's probably late third quarter when you just kind of felt, man, it's, it's not over, but it's probably over. Just yeah. because you know KC can do it, but the momentum was so overbearing. Um, now, don't take the analogy the wrong way on this one because I could see I was a bit confused, but I was actually thinking about the miracle on ice on this one. Okay. Not because there's such a big underdog, but during, uh, you know, as, as Herb Brooks is getting the team together, it's like, well, what style do we play? The pros can't beat them. This type, the other thing is, well, for Tampa Bay's defense going back to play Kansas City, Herb Brooks's philosophy was you take their game and you throw it right back at them. And on defense, I mean, we know that 
the Bucks are heavy cover four, which is part of that shell. So they, they run two, four, five, six, and nine a lot. So you always have two guys high and play it underneath. And that's why, why Kelsey was able to play well. But those young guys played fast. It was, you know, the guys weren't getting schemed open on the Kansas City side as often. And they were getting kind of punched in the mouth and ran with. So they're not used to that. And I, I think there's got to be some sort of a factor to that too, is just taking the uh, offensive aggression and matching it with the same defensive aggression and that kind of balls out risk reward type play. It works. Now, can you play that same way every game all year? Right. No, I think it's going to get exploited, but it just seemed to be the factor that was working and that's their ideal system. And it, it ended up working and Kansas city really didn't have an answer. Uh, some pass blocking would have helped. Um, and that's why the best wins, best, healthiest teams usually end up winning more games. But uh, it was pretty interesting to see that kind of play. So that's why that, that whole uh, Herb Brooks thing came to mind, just watching that play out. Yeah, I like that. I definitely like that. Um, one thing I will mention is that the, the Bucks had such a balanced attack throughout the whole postseason um, that it, it can't be understated how well the running back room played, how well Tom Brady played in play action. Gronkowski obviously being a very important part of this offense. Yep. Um, all three of their receivers being involved and not a single one of them like really taking the the shine that I thought would happen. I sure. thought somebody like uh, Godwin might have just like taken over the show, right? But it was this amazing balance attack. And somebody that I would like to point out is Leonard Fournette, playoff Lenny, oh, Super yes. Bowl Lenny. Uh, he came Super here Bowl. with a chip chair and a prayer. $2 million contract after being, being cut by the team that drafted him after he had 1,800 all-purpose yards the year before. And yeah. what does he do? He freaking shines in the biggest moment ever. I thought him and Ronald Jones ran the ball like LeGarrette Blunt did for the days when he played with Tom Brady. And LeGarrette Blunt did against Tom Brady when he played for the Eagles. Like, oh, yeah. they looked dominant, and it was – I hate that it was fun to watch, but it was fun to watch this run game um, because I was on the Chiefs. But, man, they, they just made it look so easy. And exactly like you said, this was a Brady Super Bowl. Like, there was there was no panic on their offensive side. There was no off-schedule plays. There was no time for them to be worried about the play clock or anything like that. Everything was on schedule. Everything was three steps, balls out everything and they had an amazing game plan and hats off to Bruce Arians for an amazing and amazing accomplishment and amazing uh coached performance yeah 100 percent. and the last thing I think I've got for this game is you made a comment actually off air we were calling a recent segment uh from probably two weeks ago maybe last week or last uh uh conference weekend um talk about players who are going to get paid because of their playoff performances and I, I thought mean, for sure it was going to be Godwin we talked about some other guys or maybe Miko Hordman or some other guys but uh I think your sales point right there Leonard Fournette's going somewhere he's getting paid two million dollars no more does he get 15 no does he get 10 maybe not but I'm sure probably it's six to eight six to nine right feature back you know and maybe a two-headed backfield but he, he playoff Lenny I like it Super Bowl Lenny yeah man if uh yeah i'm not taking that one that's all over twitter um oh, is it all right but uh yeah i agree and i i think tampa's the right spot for him if they have the money for him 
why why wouldn't he come back? Why wouldn't they have this two-headed monster going into the next year? With Tom Brady already saying he's coming back, Gronkowski's coming back. Godwin's a foot out the door, if you ask me. Uh, it would be smart for him to leave financially. If he wanted to stay, cool. Um, Can they resign A.B.? Yeah, exactly. And, and then the team goes from there. But we'll move on. Um, yeah. In the end, yeah, I, I don't need to talk anymore about Kansas City, Tampa Bay. Uh, everything that you've heard in the media, everything that you saw is what it is. We can move on from that Super Bowl. Yeah, our, next, our next segment is uh, Hall of Fame class 2021. I think we're just going to go through these guys, give you some stats, give you some uh, kind of fun pointers about them, and then we'll move on. But 2021 Hall of Fame class uh, starts off with an absolute bang. This guy was, um, without a doubt, the he's the definition of a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's the only quarterback to win a Super Bowl with two different teams. Peyton Manning, unbelievable. Uh, he, I can't wait for his Hall of Fame. was the only quarterback to win a Super Bowl with two well, yeah, Up until no. two well, days ago. <laughs> when, he get, when he got inducted to the Hall of Fame, he's the only Hall of Famer to win it with two teams. There you go. Well, Tom Brady's got a career for three of them, so that we'll have that next. But, yeah, Peyton Manning was, what, one of eight, one of eight guys selected this year, so quarterback for Indy and Denver. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm, yeah, like I said, super excited to hear his Hall of Fame speech. I'm super, the thing that excites me about players like him, like of his caliber, is like who is going to give his introductory speech? Is his dad? Is his brother? Uh, One of his players, Jeff Saturday, is like one of his best friends. Who knows? Like that's Tony Dungy. Like, oh, Dungy would be sweet. it's It's always a really exciting thing for me to be like, Who's going to be that guy? Who does he trust to give his introductory speech? I think Eli would be perfect. Um, I don't know if they go that route or not. Archie would also be cool too. Um, or his brother Cooper. Cooper's funny. And Cooper was on uh, – he was on, what, the Fox? The Fox pregame show for a couple weeks. Like, he was pretty good. Yeah. I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Well, next guy, Charles Woodson, was around the league a little bit. Uh, played defensive back. I think you could probably say a couple years in the league that he was the premier cornerback in the league. Definitely the most versatile throughout his career, playing multiple positions in the defensive backfield. Yeah. You got any other tidbits on Charles Woodson? You know, uh, you have to, a Michigan man, but he, to me, well, first off, he is just game wrecker. I mean, he is kind of what we think of what he's probably like the mold for like a Tyron Matthew could play every position just knows for the ball, mostly picks, punch it out. I mean, he's trash games when he was with Oakland. And I can say Oakland because it was Oakland then. Um, that's been my folly all year. And then with Green Bay and, and just, I mean, really, th- there weren't seasons and games where he just, even his quiet games, he was influencing the ball most than and anybody you've seen in a long time. Um, I think he was a fourth overall draft pick. Um, defensive right. rookie of the year, uh, a lot of all pros, a lot of pro bowls. I mean, this dude is going to be one of my favorites for, well, probably for all time. Uh, I don't think there's anybody else going to be quite like that, even though he kind of, like I said, made the mold for this versatile game changing DB. Yeah, exactly. He, he, he was that 
that player uh, post Deion Sanders that was like, all right, I can put I can put my faith in this guy to get the job done. Right. Uh, and uh, he really lived up to that. And for the Madden fans out there, Charles Woodson comes into Madden Ultimate Team every year and seems to be uh, one of the dominant defensive backs as well in Madden Ultimate Team. So oh, yeah. that's off to that as well. I'm sure he's going to get a Hall of Fame card. Next guy is another huge Madden guy, um, probably more well-known for his nickname in Megatron, but Calvin Johnson played for the Detroit Lions his whole career, played against our favorite teams multiple times. We've seen that guy wreck a couple Sundays for our favorite teams, Calvin Johnson. Yeah, man, this guy, before we get into any numbers, this is the first guy that I remember seeing and having an impact. Because like, I, I played a little bit of both in my, in my playing days, both DB and receiver. But he's the first guy I've seen line up in the end zone, or, or sorry, in the red zone. And opposing defenses literally put two guys man up on them. Mm-hmm. Inside, outside, or tight up over the top. It's not like they were shading that way. There's a receiver, and then there's two DBs, like right there. You'll never see that again. And, you know, people are making comparisons about Metcalf and how he can be that type. It's like, but until they put two defensive backs on you like that from the right. snap, come on now. Yeah, dude. Um, there, there was times where it looked like he was the gunner in punt return. Oh, so yeah, that's a great way to put it. That's better than I was thinking. So he, uh, he played for Detroit at a nine-year career. Um, during that time, he led the league in receiving yards with over 11,000 and receiving touchdowns at 83. And in 2012, he set the receiving record for a single season at 1,964 yards. Holy Jesus. That is cr- like really that's nuts. You talk about a running back going over 2,000 yards. That's an over. That's basically over 100 yards a game all year because you only play 16 games. And he finished second in NFL history with 86 yards receiving average every game. That's nuts. that's unbelievable. And uh, that one season where he went for 1,900, I I almost vividly remember Week 17. Uh, the Lions are playing in a wash game but it was on Sunday night or something and he needed 10 yards to break probably Jerry Rice's record. I remember watching this game too. And he goes off for like 197 yards and you're like, Oh my God, this is insane. So not only did he break it, he obliterated it in that week 17 game. Um, And man, yeah, I I wish this guy's career was longer. I think the lions kind of gypped him out of that. Sounded like he was a little salty with, how he ended things. So his, his hall of fame speech might be a little interesting as well, but I'm sure he's happy with what he's done. He seems to be um, a little out of the limelight, but now that he's a hall of famer, maybe we will see him uh, as an analyst or just somebody as a guest spot here or there. Uh, So excited to hear his point of view, like his story. Um, Now we're kind of getting into some guys that maybe aren't our era. So we don't know (laughs) nearly as much about them as, maybe some other people would, um, and some people who weren't first ballot Hall of Famers. So uh, the next guy is wide receiver for the Dallas Cowboys, Drew Pearson. Yeah, man. So I had to look this one up a little bit. I knew the name, and I know he was on some of those great teams, and I know he'd been looked over for a couple years. But what I didn't know is, one, he was a free agent, uh, undrafted free agent. He played 11 years, and – I guess depending on how they were looking this up and how they're defining it, but 
as I read this article from NFL.com, uh, he was the recipient of the first Hail Mary. <laughs> really? Isn't that crazy? The first time it was coined Hail Mary or like yeah. literally the first okay. there's, there's a game ending bomb. Yeah, but the first time it's coined Hail Mary. Damn, that's kind of cool. Isn't that crazy? And I, uh, was that the one? I think that was against Paul Krause and your Vikings too, wasn't it? Uh, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. I think it was because you can. I can still picture going in the far right corner of the end zone. Paul Krause was like, whoa, and then what happened? And he caught it. Like, holy cow. Crazy. Paul Krause, uh, he leads the NFL in career interceptions. Absolutely. Uh, next guy. Actually, this dude, this dude was a freak when he played. Uh, yeah. We knew him very minimally, but he was a road grader on the offensive line, Alan Fanica. Yeah, he played for a couple of different teams there, uh, Arizona, but most, uh, most notably Pittsburgh. I exactly. think there was one other team, but I, I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, I mean, he was just – he was everything. You weren't getting by him in a pass rush. He was definitely a road grader. Um, and to me, this is kind of right when I started paying attention to what offensive line play was and, like, really what it meant. Because as a kid, you don't, you don't grow up watching the offensive line unless you're right. going to be an offensive lineman. Um, but it, it really, really cool. The one thing about him is on his team, he had Jerome Bettis and Willie Parker, and they earned seven 1,000-yard seasons behind him. Isn't that not yeah. nuts? It's unbelievable. And I, I remember that, that, that span in the NFL where the Steelers were the most run-dominant team, uh, much to guys like uh, Alan Fanica. Uh, and Jerome Bettis, and they convinced Jerome Bettis to stay an extra year to win a Super Bowl. So Fanica wins a Super Bowl. Uh, played on both teams, I believe. Um, and yeah, I mean, stud, well deserved. These guys obviously go pretty under the radar when a guy like Peyton Manning is going to be in the same draft class, but well right. deserved nonetheless for Alan Fanica. Yep, absolutely. I forgot to mention he also had. Two seasons with the Jets where Thomas Jones ran also ran for a thousand yards. So that's nine thousand yard rushers behind him. There you go. On three different teams. Uh next guy, and I can honestly say I don't know who this is, Bill Nunn. I can honestly say who that is too. Um, but he's a former sports writer for the Pittsburgh Courier. There you he go. He joins the Steelers scouting staff in 67 after calling on Pittsburgh to consider prospects for historically black colleges and universities. So as I kind of go through this, um, he's kind of the one that's been writing for the Pittsburgh for such a long time. Damn, that's dope. And kind of beefing up and, and kind of drawing, not that the Pittsburgh Steelers need any help with personality, but um, he is accredited with a lot of their success and drawing attention to them. So That's um, awesome. I love that. Pretty darn cool. Bill Nunn, Hall of Famer. His uh, scouting, his, uh, part of what they're talking about too is, is the, uh, his scouting prowess. So he was a part of the front office. He did draft guys like Elsie Greenwood, Mel Blunt, Ernie Holmes, John Stallworth, Donnie Schell, and Jack Lambert. So all of you Pittsburgh fans are probably just going, oh, the, these are our gods. But uh, I know we know a couple of these guys just from history and right. cool replays. And even a couple of these guys make their way into Madden. So that's the way a lot of the uh, younger kids start to know these names. Mel Blunt, uh, Jack Lambert, those types of guys. Yeah, you keep those names alive. I love that Madden does that every year. Um Next guy, we'll talk about keeping names alive. I think this is a name that somebody like you and I grew up probably idolizing. Oh, yeah. Um, by the way he played, the tenacity that he played with on um, 
on multiple teams, and now he's still in the limelight. He he was a GM of the Super Bowl uh, 49ers last year. Uh, obviously didn't win it, but John Lynch, man, uh, one of the better safeties that we've probably ever seen in, in, in our lifetime, in our lifetime watching football. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, third-round prick in 93, this guy was smart, fast. He was absolutely a downhill hammer. I mean, he's the guy that really, for me, was fun to watch as a kid because I ended up playing some safety. The other thing about him, too, is it's the 2004 Super Bowl against Oakland, um, against Rich Gannon and all that. And I remember – I especially got excited watching him because it's kind of, well, I was what, 12? So I really started watching football for watching football. I remember placing a bet with my dad. I won a dollar because he's very good at picking games, and I picked that game for the Bucks to beat the Raiders. There and John Lynch was all over the field out that one, on that one. Him and Derek Brooks making plays left and right. Um, so after that, it was just really cool to see him there and in Denver. Yeah, man. I, I, I love the guy. He's going to be super successful as a GM already has been and will continue to be. He is definitely a voice for the NFL, which is great. Um, I don't think they're, like, losing that many people, but I think a lot of people, uh, especially Hall of Famers guys who leave the league, don't want to come back to be this voice for the NFL. People like him and people like Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson's on on the broadcast with ESPN as well. They're all great ambassadors for the game. Uh, so it's good to see that they're getting Hall of Fame votes and into the Hall of Fame as well. Sure. Um, last guy, um, another non-player. He was a coach uh, for a couple different teams, I think mainly Oakland, Tom Flores. You know, Tom Flores is a guy I had to look up, and then I realized I've seen this guy before. Where have I seen him? Coors Light commercial currently. <laughs> really? Absolutely. He was no way. In the playoffs here, so take a look at that one. Um, but uh, he's one of four coaches to have won two Super Bowls. He played 10 years in the AFL for the Raiders, Bills, and Chiefs before he went into coaching. And uh, he had postseason appearances and two Super Bowl titles in 80 and 83. Um, he coached for the Raiders, uh, obviously where he won it, and then uh, also with the Seahawks where he did not uh, see as much success. There's 14 and 34 there for a couple years in the early 90s. Um, but now 83, uh, he's immortally in the halls of Canton. I like it. Pretty cool, huh? Tom Flores. Is he related to Brian Flores? I'm going to go with probably not, but I think that's something we can look up if we really get all that into it. Yeah, I was just wondering if it was there or not. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that's a pretty cool class. I mean, you've got a little bit of everything there. You've got offense. You've got defense. You've got – you know, guys that are hot off the press after just hitting their five-year threshold. You've got guys that are, you know, haven't haven't been in the league for 30 years, but now you're, you're coming up, getting the recognition that they need. 50 years, actually, the 70s. Right. Um, so just really cool to see a well-rounded class. You know, only eight guys, you know, seems a lot because we, we're used to hearing all these names that aren't even in it yet. But it uh, seems like all of these guys have a very strong case, kind of an unquestionable case here. So pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. And I, I would like to mention that I, I think there was one player that I was I was rooting for, obviously, because of his time uh, for the Vikings, but another great ambassador for the game. The way he played it and the way he carried himself is just in a Hall of Fame fashion uh, that that didn't get voted in his first time. Uh, and that's Jared Allen. So 
I do believe Jared Allen is a Hall of Famer. He'll eventually be in the Hall of Fame, but unfortunately it wasn't this year. So, Jared Allen, we're big fans over here at the 53. I'm sure we will be celebrating hopefully next year. Well, yeah, he was a bear for a year or two. He was a bear. That's right. And a Panther and a Chief. Man, he's all over the place. All over the place. All right. So, that was pretty sweet. Now, I'm looking at the calendar. Today is February 9th. We've got like seven months till football. We got a couple months till draft. We got one month right. till free agency kind of starts. Yep. Got a lot of things. It's gonna be interesting as we talk about free agency because the cap has been reduced reduced for the year for the salary caps. So that means you're gonna have a lot of guys that are like at the back end of their contract or kind of the back end of their prime that might find themselves cut. A lot of veterans uh, leaving early and doing a lot of team changes. I know the Bears have five or six candidates that are pushing thirty. Uh, that probably makes sense, or just over 30, you know, save five, seven, 10, 12 million dollars in cap space. Yeah. I'm sure it's like that across the league. So I think between that and our quarterback shuffle that we're highly anticipating, your, your point at the beginning of the podcast was we're going to have, we're going to have quite the offseason, I think, whether we like it or not, which I don't know, we wouldn't. Um, I'm kind of getting jacked up. I'm kind of getting over this bittersweet thing. The boring Super Bowl. Now it's like, all right, get back into it because I need the free agency emotion to hold me to the draft and then ultimately through all summer and most of the fall till September. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And um, you see, I'm wearing my Viking hat right now. Oh, yeah. when, the, when the Vikings are eliminated from playoff contention or eliminated in the playoffs, is when I uh, put the Viking stuff away. And I put it away until the end of the season because I think that's fair. I got to give credit to the teams that made it that far. And then the second the Super Bowl is done, I'm putting the Viking stuff back on. So uh, oh, yeah. Viking stuff's back on. We're not talking about last year um, quite yet because now we're looking to the future. You know what I mean? We will do a Viking recap. We're going to do a Bears recap as well. Uh, but we're looking to the future. And that's what is exciting about football, that it's so cyclical that Next day, I mean, we're recording this the Tuesday after the Super Bowl, and you know what? I'm already optimistic about the Vikings' chances to make the Super Bowl this year. You know what I'm saying? So I, I feel, I feel the vibe. I feel the vibe. So with that, let's just do some quick talkers about our favorite teams. Sure. We'll do some off-season talkers, then we'll get out of here. Cool. I gotta ask you, because it's been it's it's been the number one question in uh in sports broadcasting for the nfl since the super bowl ended i don't know who keeps leaking it but philadelphia is pretty dead set that carson wentz is leaving their offices probably by the end of the week and only two teams have been announced that's the bears and the colts are you fighting it for the beat are you fighting for it to be the bears and how bad do you want Wentz? i don't you don't want Wentz. See, okay, so here's where I'm at. The fact is, no, I do not. It is not an emotional decision. It is not a slam on wins. I Come think this will be the continued exasperation of typical bears, so typical bears. Come on. You, spend, you overspend for a quarterback solution that's only going to move the timeline. It's just going to push you out. It solves nothing. And it's just going to you know, prolong this thing. You can say, oh, we tried. Oh, we tried. And, you know, to me, Pace and Nagy are going to be gone after next year, and they're going to waste more draft capital. So if you waste this year's first-round draft pick, I'm fine with that because it's a late pick. 
you're picking number 20 and for a quarterback for two years. Got it. If you're able to offload Foles. To me, that makes sense because they're just basically moving up 15 spots. It's going to be a late first-round pick. Fine. Cool. If you give away more than that, that's where I start getting frustrated. All right. That's fair. I think you're very rational uh, with this. I, <laughs> I would say if I were a Bears fan, I would be all in chips pushed forward as far as they can be pushed for Carson Wentz. Why? Because you're not going to get anything better. You're not going to get anything better. And if you think you are, you're insane. Deshaun no. Watson's not coming. You're not drafting somebody Wentz? at 20. Do I need Wentz to go eight and eight? Or can I draft the developmental guy to go seven and nine? Six and ten. Wentz has proven himself in this league. I think people forget that about Carson Wentz. Wentz is a gamer. Wentz can play football. He had a bad year. People forget, no. Last year, statistically a bad year, he ended the year with four straight wins with a shitty team. His number one receiver is Greg Ward. Uh, Ertz was out. Uh, The other dude was out. He was a rookie that year, too. Uh, Goddard. Dallas Goddard. Yep. Greg Ward was his number one receiver. They win the last four games of the year. They beat the Dallas Cowboys, who were a shoe-in for the playoffs. They go to Seattle, and they om- or Seattle comes to them, and they almost beat Seattle, who was the best team in the NFC that year. Well, outside of the Niners, but they almost beat him, but Carson gets hurt in that game. Obviously, injuries are a thing. He gets Very hurt halfway so. through the game, and they lose the game like 19-5 to or some shit. Injuries are a thing. He was a stud. He was he he was the front runner for MVP before he gets hurt. Uh, before Foles goes on this epic Super Bowl run, uh, through twelve weeks of that season, Carson Wentz was the MVP of of the league. That's straight facts. And if yeah, this last happens, year was bad. If this happens, I will not be pissed. I will be frustrated for the reasons I've given. Plus, you reminded me of his injury history. I mean, really, so typical. never missed a full season though. So, what does that mean? He's you only missed, missed, your best ability is availability. He's only missed eight games in five years. It's not that bad. It just sounds bad. Yeah, but because now he's got the label behind one of the best offensive lines in football. So, yeah, it's like, okay. All right. No more. Anyway, how do you feel about uh, the changing of the guard for the Vikes offensive coordinator? They go from Gary to Clint? Klein? Yeah, yeah Clint? They, don't even have to, they don't even have to switch out the nameplate in the offices. Uh, I love it. (laughs) I love it, man. Um, I don't know much about this guy personally, but he has been now in the system for three years, two, two or three years. He seems to be, um, he seems to be coming in to run his dad's offense, which makes a lot of sense and is uh, a Kirk cousins guy, which is good because Kirk cousins is going to be our quarterback we, we need a coordinator who is going to make plays, call plays for Kirk. I'm a huge fan of this move. I know it's a, still a, another change. Kirk hasn't had consistent mm-hmm. offensive coordinators since he's been in Minnesota because our offensive coordinators are just too good, and then they win coach of the year for the Browns. Um, but this is some consistency because the guy was inside the locker room. His dad was the coach before. Hopefully that consistency carries over. Our offense was good and explosive last year. Uh, we did have some down, 
slumps throughout games, but in, in the totality of 2020, we looked pretty good on offense and much to do with the play calling and the Gary Kubiak offense. So I'm excited about it. Um, love it. Love it. So do you think let's, – let's take this back. So when the Vikings were good, they had Shermer as the offensive coordinator. That's when they had that Minnesota miracle as the yeah. offensive coordinator. Uh, he left to coach the Giants. They had a debacle there. Stefanski then became the OC, promoted yep. from within. That's also the same year that they brought in Kubiak? Uh, Kubiak, Kubiak might have been there for Shermer as the okay. like offensive overseer. Assistant or whatever. But then when Stefanski took over, and it was Stefanski's first time as an offensive coordinator, uh, Kubiak took a bigger role. Okay. Uh, um, whatever that was. He was like overseeing stuff and then he took a bigger role. And then when Stefanski left, Kubiak said he would never OC again because there was just too much on him. You know, he has a bunch of health issues. Sure. Uh, but he came in, uh, Zimmer convinced him, Hey, we need your type of deal. Uh, so he comes in to OC knowing that that wasn't going to be a long-term solution. Sure. Um, so I think this was a great way for him to exit as well. And do you think that that was my, – my, my question is ultimately leading to, do you think that was an inside job where they knew that if they bring in Kubiak, they're going to be – that Stefanski's the man, he's not going to be here for long and start grooming the new guy anyway, being, being, being Kubiak's son? Uh, the forethought, uh, probably not. I think the forethought was Stefanski and Kubiak work together where Stefanski puts in all the work. Kubiak's there to add in some flair, some sauce, some uh, – terminology uh just like the oversight right and um what we ended up seeing was Stefanski did well enough and presented himself really well uh to be able to get that head coaching job Um, so it was a nice way to fall into uh, a young offensive coordinator that I think we're really excited about and it's a name that could be on the top of the head coaching list next year like the son of Gary Kubiak who won five Super Bowls, three as a player, two as a coach, or might be the other way around. Like, yeah, so we're excited about it. The Vikings just have awesome offense and defensive coordinators. They get picked for head coaches all the time. It's a bold prediction on the young guy, but I like it. I know that's where the league's going. They're trying to get young. So, you know, I got one more. I know we got a bunch of topics we want to start buzzing on as we get into the offseason. So I got one more for you that I kind of want to wrap up this episode with. We have the Bears and Vikings obviously who are who's a team or two obviously you know we've talked about at length about your changing away from houston as you know your backup team or your your not vikings favorite team what's a team or two you're going to be wanting to root for next year as it stands now just the season ending before draft before changing with the the off season and all that stuff team or two that you're hyped about yeah, well, I'll tell you now after the Super Bowl, just really quickly, I'm going to be rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, it's exciting to know that, you know, they're not the best team in the league, so they got to come out and prove it. It's that uh, uh, Golden State Warriors type deal. Like, everybody hates the guy on top, but they're no longer on top, so I'm fighting with them. Uh, I also like the Chargers. I think you and I have uh, a love affair with the Chargers as well. And then my, I think my third favorite team uh, that I would be rooting for next year, uh, just off the top of my head, would be the Nashville Titans as well. I, I love what they got going on there. I think their offense is super dope. 
Uh, I love the head coach. Those are kind of my three teams off the bat. And then once we get into it more, just the nitty gritty of the league, there's a lot of these small teams. Jacksonville is one of these teams last year for me, and they could be again this year. Uh, sure. if they end up getting Trevor Lawrence, but we, then we can talk about those, but those are three contender teams that I'm like really excited for their progress going into 2021. Oh, hell yeah. And then, yeah, to continue that, the love affair too. I'm excited about the chargers, obviously. So that's going to be a team on my radar. Um, the team that you think I love the most, I don't, but I am really into seeing, I, I'm a Derek Carr guy. So You're I want to see where, fan. Let's be where he goes. And then obviously the, uh, the Vegas Raiders, I like some of the things they got going on there. Not everything, but I think, there's a lot more to them than what meets the eye. Um, so that's two teams in the AFC West, coincidentally. Um, I got a couple more on the back burner here. You know, I've always kind of wanted to like the Jets, but they've always sucked so much, and I'm not a Gase guy. And now that that's changed, we'll see how the culture changes out there. Right. Um, a lot of moving and shaking out that way. They got a lot of cap room. Hey, the Miami Dolphins might be fun even. Dolphins could be fun, too. Uh, I don't think they're going to be as sexy with the big moves and all that. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, I cannot wait to start getting some of these other, you know, pre-draft. Who are you excited about? What do you want to see? Free agency, obviously, coming before that. You know, that's, that's the stuff where I get really excited, too, because it just leads to a whole offseason of hope and anticipation and all these things, especially when, you know, your Bears – make the playoffs but just barely didn't really feel like they belonged there but there's just enough to get you excited <laughs> because the piece or two could be the thing blah 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 so yeah, yeah that's what I, I, I guess that's what i get up for well jason uh we're about to end the podcast and we didn't have a three here because there's nothing to predict in the in the near future sure. uh but i wrote down three things and they actually talked about one of them which is funny but i wrote down three questions that i have for you okay that are rapid fire before we finish this bitch out, okay? All right, let's hang on, hang on. Rapid fire as in, you can't think about it. You just got to answer, and then you can justify your answer, but you got to answer, little justification, on to the next one. You ready? I will do my best. Let's do it. Number one, where does Deshaun Watson play next year? Houston. Houston Texans. You think he's sitting out? Yes. Okay. Uh, number two, who wins the NFC East and why? Oh, damn. Uh, it's going to have to be Dallas. Dak's back, franchise tag. Oh, I like it. Uh, and then number three, and you kind of just brought these up, so now I'm going to actually put the honus on you here. Oh, shit. All right. Who is more likely to make the playoffs, the Raiders or the Chargers? Chargers. Chargers, really? They got more pieces. They've got more talent overall. Um, they've got a better quarterback. They've got a better pass rush. And don't forget about the Swiss Army knife and Derwin James. Um, if they can keep that offense, their offensive playmakers healthy, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler, all of who were banged up a little bit last year. I mean, you're, you're playoffs for sure. Wild card for sure, especially if you're going to do seven. Well, when we get into free agency, Mike Williams will definitely be a talker. I think he's one of the better players in the league. Uh, but just doesn't get the enough uh, love. I, yeah, just doesn't get enough uh, opportunity, I would call it. Um, so if he stayed there with Herbert, obviously setting the rookie record would be fun to see him in the second year. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, like you said. I, I think I'm with you too. Chargers, I think, have a better chance of winning. 
uh, getting into the playoffs. But I really do like what the Raiders are building. It's kind of all we got, Jason. That's I like one one last comment on it. I like what the Raiders are building. The one thing I always seem to come back to is, you know, the makeup of the team is that they play close games, they play crappy games, they play up and they play down. Um, obviously, they had to fire the coach because you can't fire all fifty-three guys. But this roster, the last two seasons, they find themselves losing a lot of games by less than a score. So an attitude adjustment or one little tweak here and there throughout the season. You take you take six and, and twelve, or six and ten, excuse me, and three four wins by three four touchdowns. That's that's ten and six. You're in the playoffs easy. So thinking, hopefully for them. Yeah, I'm with you there. I I agree. I think it's a team. I think it's a team that's laying dormant, ready to really explode into 2021. So this might become a Chargers podcast. Who knows? You know. You know, if our teams drive us nuts, let's do it. So I think that was a fun way to kind of, I guess, offload a little bit about the game, wrap up the season, talk a little hopeful, get into some drama, and then, you know, kind of turn the direction into what we're coming to do next, man. What do you think? Yeah, man, I'm I'm super excited to see what we're going to be doing this offseason. Uh, next will be some uh, – I don't know what next week will be but we're going to be doing some free agency chatter. We're going to be breaking down divisions. We're going to talk about some draft. We'll probably do another mock draft. We might watch the draft live. Might do a 53 live uh, NFL draft party. Um, so a lot of fun things on the horizon, man. Uh, we're excited. Stuff too. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, dude, that was our whole summer was fantasy. So we'll get into some fantasy. We'll get into some betting into next year. Uh, so excited to bring it all to you here at the 53 podcast you can find us on this youtube link that you're watching here or on spotify the 53 podcast football is the easiest way to find it on spotify but that's it for us guys that is the end of our first year doing the 53 podcast oversight on the nfl my name is luke this is jason sign off buddy You got nothing to say? That's it. It's That's over. it, man. I, that was that was fun. In the-